Acts chapter 15. I invite your attention to Acts chapter 15. If you're able, I invite you to stand together with me as we focus our attention on the text before us, beginning in verse 35. Paul and Barnabas had labored together in missionary endeavor. Having seen the wonders of God manifest, in the previous journey, they're now discussing the next. In Acts chapter 15, we begin reading in verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this evening. We ask now, Lord, in these moments that the Holy Spirit, in dealing with our hearts, would find only a tenderness that is quick to respond to the Word of God. Lord, Please make the truths of this text, of the related narratives, please make the truth real to us tonight. Please make that truth real in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. In discussing this next missionary journey, Paul said, let's go and see how the brethren do. Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark. John Mark, who had departed from them, early in that first missionary journey. 
And Paul replied, not such a good idea. The contention was so sharp, sharp, so sharp, that they severed one from the other. Silas joins Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. They begin their journey, stopping first at Cyprus. It's interesting that Paul had begun the conversation saying, let's go see how the brethren are doing. Well, how about John Mark? Well, that brother's not doing so well. <laughs> let's not take him. Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. And he just couldn't help himself. That was Barnabas. Isn't it wonderful to meet a Christian every now and then who has that same spirit? They just can't help themselves but encourage others. That's just who they are. The Bible says Barnabas was determined. That's just who he was. And Paul of all people should have known that. I want you to think about this man, Barnabas, for a little while tonight. I would reintroduce him to you this evening. Noticing first his enlightenment and instruction as a Levite. The Bible tells us when Barnabas first steps on the scene... He's a Levite. Something incredible takes place during those early days of that church when the saints were in such need. Something incredible takes place when a Levite steps forward and says, I just sold a piece of land and I want to give what was received for the help of the church, for the help of the saints. And a Levite lays these funds at the feet of the apostles. We don't know if the land that Barnabas owned was in his home country of Cyprus or in Israel, we cannot say. But this we do know from the Levitical laws of the Old Testament. I refer to Numbers chapter number 18 and verse 20. That the Lord said to Aaron, you'll not own inheritance among the people in the land. I am your inheritance. Right. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 9, God spoke expressly to the tribe of Levi and said, you'll not own possession in the land. I am your inheritance. Now please understand as we're reminded from the words of Jeremiah, it was not impossible for a Levite to own property. But there were a great many restrictions. There was a Levitical law. This is an incredible moment 
when a Levite says, I just sold a piece of property. When before there was such restriction under Levitical code, Barnabas now was enjoying a new liberty. <laughs> we think of how that the law was fulfilled in Christ, how that we have liberty because of the redemption that we have in Him. Thank God for that liberty. Barnabas was enjoying the liberty. There are so many who try to explain with clever excuse and rationale as to why they don't give. Barnabas was rising above past restrictions, looking for opportunity to give and rejoicing in the liberty that he could give. The story is told, the veracity of it being somewhat questioned, of how that a certain man watched at an auctioneer block one day as slaves were being sold. He focused upon one little black girl and he made his bid. Having purchased her, she steps toward him, this man who has just bought her, a man whose name was Abraham Lincoln. The man who looked at her now and said, having purchased her, you're free. She answered the stranger with this question, what do you mean free? Am I free to be who I want to be? He said, you're free. Am I free to do what I want to do? You're free. Am I free to go where I want to go? He said, you're free. She said, then I want to go with you. Now, whether that story actually happened or not, it's been repeated through the years and it's been brought into question. I will not settle the matter, but I will tell you a story that is true. I was redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And being His, He set me free. I am enjoying precious liberty tonight. I was a captive bound by sin. But I'm free. The Lord told His people in the Old Testament, He said, I did not deliver you to do some of the things that you're doing. My friend, I am free. I have liberty. When before I was a servant of Satan, now I'm a servant of the Most High King. What is this hedonism, this license 
Paul warned against turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Excusing our desires, longings, pursuit of pleasure as Christians saying, I'm just enjoying my liberty. One of my dearest friends in all the world, Curtis King, been my pastor, became my dearest of friends. Having been my pastor, he's still among my dearest of friends. <laughs> I remember one day I went to the church office, meet him for lunch. Please forgive my mischief. I know some of you would never suspect that of me. But I found this very strong pair of magnets that were round about such a size. I took this pair of very strong magnets and I placed one on one side of the earlobe and one on the other side of the left earlobe just before I walked in the church office so that nobody would see me in the hallway. But I, I walked in and it looked just like I had a hole bored into my ear. I walked into the church office. His wife, who was the secretary at that time, she liked to fell out of her chair when she saw me. She covered her mouth with her hands and said, Brother Jeff Coat, he walks out of the office being quite familiar with my mischief. He just laughs at me. I looked at him and I said, Brother, I'm just enjoying my liberty. What is this liberty of which we speak? This hedonism, seeking after pleasure and excusing it, with our Christianity. Barnabas was a Levite. He had been since his birth under strict Levitical code. It was not impossible for the Levites to own land. But there was a very long list of restrictions. And now, Understanding as he did this wonderful transitioning of grace from the Old Testament to the New Testament, he's enjoying his liberty. I would have enjoyed very much hearing Barnabas preach, teach, hearing him refer to the patterns in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New. Personally, I believe that the Apostle Paul was used of the Lord to write the book of Hebrews. I cannot prove that to you tonight with absolute dogmatism, but that is what I believe. 
I can understand, however, why some of my brethren think that Barnabas wrote it. He was a Levite. By the way, that must have been quite a sight when Paul and Barnabas together would enter into some of those synagogues they visited during the first missionary journey. Paul being a Pharisee, Barnabas being a Levite. That's quite a pair. Dear friend, there was no contradiction in their mind or their hearts of that which was in the Old Testament, that which followed in the New Testament. In fact, Barnabas said, I'm enjoying my liberty. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if some dear child of God this week, whether you had a piece of property to sell or not, that you just decided... I'm all in and I am all out. And others would just smile and say, he can't help himself, he's enjoying his liberty. I think of his enlightenment and instruction as a Levite. But then I think secondly, about his investment and involvement in the church. The Bible says it was during those early days. Barnabas, he decided, I'm getting in on this. And being a Levite, in a rather obscure category of Levites, who owned property, sold it, enjoying this new blessed liberty, He lays the funds that are received at the feet. Of the, do you know who in the Old Testament enjoyed so much of the giving of God's people in the Old Testament? The Levites were sustained by the giving. of the, And here's a Levite laying these funds at the feet of the apostles. Here's a man who was in ever sense of the word, if you wanted to use the term in its most possible sanctified usage, if there be such a way to use it, Barnabas was an Old Testament scholar. But brother, he believed in the New Testament church. By the way, when the saints at Jerusalem saw the hand of God upon the saints at Antioch, they decided, we're going to send. Now, it was to Peter that the Lord said, Thou art Peter, thou art a rock, and upon this rock, I believe speaking of himself, I'll build my church. Would not Peter have been a good candidate to send to any? No, they said, but send Barnabas. Barnabas believed in the local church. Amen. Nobody said of Barnabas, you know, he's a brilliant Levite but he's not very local church. 
Barnabas is the one they sent to represent the church. I don't care how much you think you know about the Bible. If you don't see the blessed priority that the Lord places upon the local church, you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. Here's a Levite who was in love with the local church. Not so many years ago, there was a movement. I'll attempt to be charitable and gracious and not speak of it by name, but a, a movement that, that sought, and, and I believe, I believe, uh, sought with good intention uh, to, to strengthen the, the home and, and, and in the process, they weakened the family's confidence in the church. I was preaching in Michigan some years ago. And a man found out that I was there in meetings and suspected, and I think he might well not be right, that we were of some distant kin. I was staying at the parsonage there on the church property. He came, stood there at the door. The longer we talked, the more sure we were that we were Long-lost cousins. He immediately invited me over to his house. He said, I got a bottle I hadn't even opened yet. Now, I know when you say that among many a crowd, there is rightful concern. Close. He said, got a bottle hadn't even opened yet. We were talking about barbecue sauce. We stood there and we talked a great while. Started talking about prophecy. Oh, you could tell he had watched the news. You could tell that he was following the current events. We talked and we talked and we talked. I said, look, I said, we're in meetings this week. I said, why don't you come and be with us? There's kind of a smirk that creeped across his lips as he said, well, preacher, I'm kind of burnt out on the church. You know, I've been to churches where Sunday school teachers didn't come back for the evening service. You need to understand that Barnabas knew a whole lot more than most any of us claim to know about the Old Testament. And finding himself at this moment of transition, he saw no contradiction. He embraced the local church. And he loved the church. And the church sent him as their representative. Why? Because he was a local church man. That's why. I was filling out one of these uh, questionnaires of a church, a good church, and it was a very finely written questionnaire. No fault with it. But it caused me to smile when I came to one question that asked me, in training the nationals, 
will you encourage them to have services twice on Sunday and on Wednesday night? And I smiled as I wrote my answer. They would never be satisfied with that. And it's the truth. They would not be satisfied with just, you know, the Bible speaks of the early church uh, day by day and, and day after day. And, and I'm not recommending a change in, in your schedule. I'm just saying there are some folks that think that they've done God a favor if they come back on Sunday night. Barnabas, he knew more than most of us even claim to know. And he loved the local church. I look at this man and I notice his enlightenment and instruction as a Levite, his investment and involvement in the church, and of course, his encouragement and intervention among the brethren. They called him the son of consolation. His name at birth was Joseph. They called him Barnabas. He was a Levite. Joseph is a good Jewish name. Barnabas is Aramaic. Now imagine telling a Levite who has a good Jewish name, we're going to give you another name, it's Aramaic. Aramaic was the common language among the people of that day. I think Barnabas took delight in connecting all the more with the common man. That's just who he was, the son of consolation. By the way, the name Joseph means exalted. One of the earthly brothers of Jesus was named Joseph. And now, you're encouraging a Levite to forego his wonderful Jewish name that means exalted and go by an Aramaic name. And I think it delighted his heart to connect all the more with a common man among the saints. And I preached years ago in the first crusade I was ever a part of with Bob Dayton in Managua, Nicaragua. They introduced me as William Jeffcoat. The people said, no, your name henceforth in Nicaragua is Guillermo. Not that anybody would remember after all of these years, but if you ask them, do you remember somebody named William Jeffcoat? They perhaps would say no. We do remember around that time which you described that there was somebody named Guillermo who came from America. In Nicaragua, that's, and I tell you, I took all the more delight in being called Guillermo. My daughter, going to India, her name's Elizabeth. They said, we'll call you Ellie. And she loved that name, Ellie. Even one day when they called to her and said, Ellie, as they were uh, cooking something there in the big pot on, on the fire, and they said, Ellie, come and try our curry. And, and she, taking joy in connecting with the people, she went and enjoyed their curry. 
And they said, Ellie, you like our snake curry, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, to connect with the common people among the saints, but not over a bowl of snake curry. What Levite would have any pleasure in his name? Joel's is a good Hebrew name, meaning exalted, being changed to an Aramaic name. They say that he was the son of consolation. That word, consolation. Paraclesis. Translated consolation, paraclesis, reminds us of that word, parakletos, the Holy Spirit, described as the one called alongside. And that was the Spirit-filled man, Barnabas. You know, in that church, yes, there was empowerment, but the Holy Spirit showed his presence also by encouragement. By the way, that word consolation, the first time it's found in the New Testament, it's referring to Jesus. Oh, I sure want to be more like him. I look at this man. And I admire his encouragement and intervention among the saints. He forfeits this name, meaning exalted. He's known as the son of consolation. Oh, we have fun with titles, don't we? I noticed recently as I was studying again the the verse ant kingdom of the world. There's this one particular ant of which they've only found a few live specimens. This ant in India and a few countries in that part of the world, they called Tyrannosaurus Rex. Ant. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Now he's not nearly as fierce as the driver army ants, or the bullet ant, or even our beloved fire ant in the south. In fact, they say that the ant known as Tyrannosaurus Rex, when threatened, he curls up into a ball and he freezes. They gave him this title because of the way he walks. (laughs) So we think to ourselves, we need to reserve the title for the big guy. Well, let me reintroduce you to the big guy, Tyrannosaurus Rex. I just had lunch with a dear friend of mine who himself is 
is quite a creation scientist and just rejoices over these faltering discoveries of paleontology, who himself spent some time at the British Museum uh, looking into uh, specimens that are restricted from, from the public. He said to me, he said in answer to my question, he said, yes, it is true that the average man could have outrun a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You say, that's not possible. I saw that movie, Jurassic Park. I got news for you, dear friend. A Jeep would have left them in the dust. And by the way, though his grandiose title, Tyrannosaurus Rex, means tyrant of the lizards in Greek, Rex meaning king in Latin. Uh, my paleontologist friend told me with a smirk on his lips. He said, in actuality, all the hunters had to do if they wanted a meal of Tyrannosaurus Rex is just put a, a rope across the path and when he came that direction, just pull it taut and make him trip. He said his skull was so big that he wouldn't survive the fall. His cranium would be smashed on combat. I'm telling you, dear friend, sometimes we say, let's reserve the titles for the big guys. I've met some of the big guys. I had somebody that... Um, apologized to me one day. They said, I'm sorry. I should have shown you proper respect by calling you Dr. Jeffcoat. And I was quick to say in response, please understand, we still cherish the title of brother around here. I appreciated your preacher when I came in the nearby past, stepped to the pulpit, and I wanted to congratulate him for receiving his de degree. And I, I acknowledged him as Dr. Gilmore. Mrs. Gilmore told me later, she said, most of the folks in the church don't even realize he has that title yet. <laughs> I guess I announced it. <laughs> we still cherish the title of brother around here. How could you convince a Levite to take any pleasure in forfeiting his Jewish for an Aramaic my friend gladly if he could be the son of consolation that connected with the people of God, even the lowest among them. Barnabas, he looked at individuals and saw the possibility. You know, we can be very suspicious. A brother can order a soda at the restaurant because it looks so much like an alcoholic beverage in the drink menu, we give them a hard time as we stare at that tall glass of Mountain Dew. 
but it sure did look just like that other glass that I saw. And I took such delight, even though I like Mountain Dew as much as I do. We can be a suspicious people. We're on guard in India. Persecution, yes, reported in every state of the country. Holding these crusades back during those early years. Anti-conversion laws had been declared. We were on our guard looking for anybody that looked suspicious. You know, that's not hard for a Baptist to do. In India, when it gets down to 70 degrees, it's so cold to the people, they have chill bumps on their arms. It's amazing how we acclimate to temperature. Now, I do say they can take the heat better than we can. But there's chill bumps on their arms at about 70 degrees, and it's cold when it gets below that. I didn't know that. I just started going to India. We were looking out at the crowd for anybody that looked suspicious. And this was before COVID and people were wearing masks, please understand. There was somebody that was sitting out there in the audience wearing what they call their a monkey mask, what we would call a ski mask. They don't know much about skiing in that part of India, you know. <laughs> to me, that was suspicious. Anybody that comes to a crusade meeting wearing a mask hiding his face, that's suspicious in my book. And in my thoughts, I was accusing a dear faithful saint of God. We can be very, very, very suspicious. I don't have to be suspicious to tell you that Christians have no business drinking alcoholic drinks like margaritas. And, and I, I feel strong on that. In fact, when I went to the pizza restaurant and I saw margarita pizza on the menu, I thought to myself, no Christian has any business eating margarita pizza. I didn't even read the ingredients. Didn't have to. It said margarita. Some years passed by before I read this delightful little story that still causes me to laugh to this day because of my personal experience. It told the story about Princess Margaret, I think she was a princess at that time, who had made request for a special preparation, that which was usually served to the common people, the chef specially prepared for her with mozzarella and a certain sauce. And in honor of the princess, they called it later the margarita pizza. Margarita pizza is okay. I might enjoy a slice of it myself pretty soon. But I'm going to tell you, I confess... We can be a very suspicious people. I'd been working. It was one of those hot Carolina days. My wife 
brought me some refreshment from the local store. I had never seen this drink before. It was hot. It had lost its coldness. I removed the cap, lifted it to my lips, took a big swallow because I was thirsty and liked to drop the bottle out of my hand. All I know is when I swallowed, it burned going down. I accused her of getting that soda out of the wrong refrigerator at the grocery store. I found out later that Blenheim ginger ale just has a lot more ginger than most other ginger ale. And yes, it burns going down. I still like it, but I like it cold. Can't hardly handle it. I'm just saying, and you know it's true. We can be very suspicious. I want to be more like Barnabas that sees the opportunity in an individual. Not seeing all of their flaws and predicting in my mind the next moment they'll stumble, but what might be for the glory of God. Paul, of all people, should have known that. After all, Barnabas helped one who was destined for greatness. Nobody else saw it when Saul of Tarsus received Christ, that persecutor of the church. Barnabas saw it because of his friendship. Barnabas putting his own credibility on the line, saying to the church, you got to meet him. Barnabas, you know, we like you and everything, but he persecuted the church. And if we have him come meet us, and this meeting doesn't work out well, we're not going to have opportunity after to forgive you. He kills believers. Barnabas put his credibility on the line, and because he did, he helped one who was destined for greatness. And he helped one who had deserted the ranks. John Mark turned back. Barnabas said, I'm going to be his friend. I'm going to be his friend. Barnabas could see in others what others could not see. The church could not see when he helped Paul. And by the way, even Paul could not see when Barnabas helped John Mark. And both men surpassed Barnabas in their usefulness. Paul, the great missionary, John Mark writing the gospel which bears his name and sounding that trumpet call, the Lord speaking through him. He speaking the words of Jesus who said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm astounded by that, that God would use a man who had turned back from the mission field to sound the trumpet for the church to charge. Barnabas said, I'm going to be his friend. Amen. 
There are so many of us that are quick to remind one another of the place that they need to sustain. Casting doubt over the thought of certain ones ascending very high. I don't know why he did this. It wasn't nice. A preacher invited me to come speak because his main speaker had to cancel at the last minute. I went and preached for him. We had good meetings. I don't know why he did, but he asked me. He said, how does it feel to be second choice? Now, why does somebody have to ask something like that? He said, how does it feel to be second choice? I looked at him and said, I wouldn't know. I said, God canceled your plans and sent his choice instead. And I'll tell you this, gentlemen, you preached this week, not as stand-ins. You were first choice. Just nobody knew it when the flyers were printed, that's all. We are so quick to be suspicious and to remind one another, this is your, who's to say what God might do, even in that person. I preached at that Bible college. This young man came up, hadn't met him yet. He's just kind of different. I would talk to this brother. This fellow would just step up and interrupt the conversation. I'd talk to somebody else. This fellow would just step up from nowhere, and he'd make himself part of the conversation. Time and time, and, and time again, I tried not to be rude. I included him. I'm glad I did. Because later, I was talking with the president of the college. This fellow, he walks up again, interrupts the conversation. I am having with the president of the Bible college. I'm thinking to myself, who is this guy? And the president of the Bible college looked at me and said, have you met my son? Man, was I glad I was nice. By the way, who's to say the plans that his father has for him? Who's to say the plans that saint's father has for him that you can't? Oh, that God would give you eyes to see. Found out later that young man, tragic accident, and, and they call him their, their miracle son. I found out later that young man is an absolute music genius. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see in others. Barnabas takes John Mark to Cyprus, and with this I close. Cyprus was not only his homeland, it was also the home of Aphrodite. This is a pagan world. The island of Cyprus is the land from which they say Aphrodite stepped from the sea 
And they say there's a rock just there on the coast that the waves, they slam upon its surface with such force that the same foam just stands erect as a pillar. And some have said one on the shore could almost imagine seeing a form step out of the ocean's depths. My friend, they were sur What perversity is clothed in that name, Aphrodite. But the world saw a Christian brother who loved his brothers. The world was confronted by a church the disciples, having heard Jesus say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. My friend, we live in a dark world. Even the name of Aphrodite is oftentimes mentioned still. Oh, that this world would see that pure love that grace has wrought in the hearts of the saints. Would you stand together with me tonight? So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the pianist to play softly in just a moment. And as he plays, agreeing with me, I assume, you realize we can be a rather suspicious bunch. Oh, that God would give us eyes that looks on others and sees the possibility, the opportunity, that we would be an encouragement. I wonder how many would make their way to an altar and perhaps on bended knees pray as some are already at the altar praying. Maybe, maybe you'd just say, Dear Lord, Bring somebody across my path to whom I can be a Barnabas. You need to come. Why don't you come? That's it. Are there others? So Lord, touch my eyes that, that I might see not with suspicion, but with the hopes, my influence. By the way, there are many versions of history and even legend that speaks of a Barnabas and what he might have done in, in the days ahead. But my friend, in the New Testament we see this. He steps into the shadows and his influence lives in the lives of others. And that's exactly what we're supposed to see. Oh, that we might be glad to step into the shadows having only this consolation that our influence will live in the lives of others. Maybe there's some that need to come tonight and say, Lord, help me to enjoy the liberty that is mine in Christ as I ought to. I don't know how God's spoken to your heart, but as many others are doing business with the Lord, I pray your heart is tender.